Hi, welcome to Building a Business That Lasts. My name is Jay Owen, and I'm your host. On a quest towards stories, tips, and ideas that will help you grow a business without being stressed out, worn out, and ready to quit. Each week, I'll interview other business owners who have successfully grown businesses of all types for many years. It's my hope that these conversations will help you build a business that lasts. On this episode, I talked to Terry Ogburn. Terry has been in business basically his whole life, but he has a pretty diversified career in that he started an HVAC business many years ago with literally just a few dollars. Over 10 years later, he ended up selling that business. He worked in the corporate world for a while, and now he's doing all kinds of other entrepreneurial efforts. So he's got a really diversified list of experience, has helped a lot of other people grow their businesses, and I think his insights will be really helpful for those of you who are struggling with time management management, struggling with how to uh, keep money in the bank and keep cash flowing well and understand profitability. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Terry. Hey, Terry, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, Thanks, Jay, for having me. I appreciate it very much. So I've already given a little bit of your bio to start, but I always love to hear uh, from people directly who have been in business for a long time. As you know, the purpose of this podcast is to help other people who are building a business kind of last the test of time. And you've certainly done that. So I'd love to hear from you kind of how you got to where you are today and a little bit more details about what it is you're actually kind of up to these days. Okay, great. Well, the business that I'm in now is uh, just cracked 12 years. So we're, I'm just over 12 years with this one. My air conditioning company, I ran for over 10 years, sold to my employees. And then I went into the corporate arena and did some turnaround stores, took a company public. I was part of a team that uh, ground floor level, we started it on a kitchen table, so to speak, uh, five of us and the two money guys. And two and a half years later, we had taken the company public. We create 11 regional offices and over 2,000 franchises. Wow. And so today, your kind of primary, primary goal is business coaching. Is that kind of the area that you're focused in now? Well, coaching is a part of it. Consulting is a part of it. Uh, but the main part of my business is business development. This is infrastructure, putting together like operations manuals, job descriptions, things that uh, small businesses usually don't take the time to you know, go ahead and create. The infrastructure is the most important part of anyone's business. And people may say, well, you know, I'm only by myself or I got two people. Well, there's a lot of tasks that goes on. So I get in on the ground floor, roll up my sleeve, sleeves to get, uh, so to speak, and then get in the trenches with you guys and, and help you develop. Yeah, I think that's really critical. You know, I I struggled with that for a long time in my business of just figuring out what those processes were like and documentation and all those other kinds of things. And and I was able to wing it for a long time. But when I really wanted to get serious about growth, you know, I had to implement those things. And I think having a, you know, a mentor or a partner or a coach or somebody like that that's able to come alongside and, and help with those can be huge for a lot of business owners. Exactly. I'm, I'm more concerned when I get involved with a client, I'm more concerned with their bottom line. You know, a lot of people come on board, they really don't care if, if you know, they help you or not. It's just you, you know, you take the package or you don't. I get more satisfaction out of seeing the person actually grow their business and take it to new heights and new levels. But a client for me will be with me three, five, seven years. 
Yeah, I think that's huge. I think long-term relationships like that, you know, really are, are what make the difference, especially if you're wanting to build something that lasts a long time. Exactly. Plus, when you're contributing to the bottom line of the company, they, they don't mind giving you your, your check, you know? Yeah, so talk about that a little bit, uh, the importance of thinking about the bottom line. I think, you know, we live in a culture where um, people can, are concerned a lot about appearance of things sometimes, how, how many people I have or how big my office is or how fancy my car is. But at the end of the day, if, if we're not profitable and that bottom line is not, uh, you know, doing the right things, the rest of that show is not going to uh, last very long. Exactly. I've got a, a good case story for you. Uh, a few years back, um, I was, a client brought me on. And so we did an evaluation of his product. He was selling hearing aids. And uh, he'd been in business for about two and a half years. And what he come to find out that he was, you know, he was losing money. So we looked at his, at his, what he was selling. And he was actually selling his hearing aids um, for a loss. Mm. And what he was, but he, it was confusing to him because he had cash flow. And a lot of business owners think, and small businesses think that, you know, because cash is moving through the bank account that you're making money. Hmm. Uh, not true at all. And you can't rely on, you know, everybody's going with QuickBooks and these different software programs. But Jay, when I learned how to do business, you had to create a uh, performa. We didn't have Excel back then. So you had to create it on a on paper of how you were going, your projected income and your projected expenses. Most of the clients that I get involved with, they're not they're not, they don't understand that it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep that is the true report card in, in life. Another thing that they don't think of is that your taxes, any of your fees, anything that's going along in, the, in, in your company, your income tax, your uh, charge card fees, PayPal, all of that is supposed to be in the revenue. So that means that you have to price yourself. So at the end of the day, you're actually making 10% after taxes. And most people don't consider their taxes until the tax bill is due. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of a double-edged sword, I think, too, because you, you have some people like what you're talking about, where they see money coming in and out of the bank account. And so they feel like everything's okay, even, in the, even if they're in long-term trouble, because their, you know, P&L is, isn't really lining up, and they're not really uh, profitable at the, end of the, at the end of the day. But then you also have the others who, you know, think that they're profitable, maybe they even are profitable, but they don't know how to manage cash flow. So you have like the opposite problem. And so they don't have enough money coming in and out because they haven't structured their deals properly to make sure they're getting paid at certain intervals and they run out of cash, even if they have enough contracts signed. Sometimes that's can be the opposite problem for people. Exactly. And, you know, I've gone into companies before where, you know, if you're heavy in receivables, you also have to calculate the receivables that you're not going to get. It's great to think that everybody's going to pay us, but that isn't the true, you know, that's not true. So if you, if you're tracking, uh, say a 10% loss in receivables every month, and you have to calculate that into your revenue, much like a grocery store or a retail store would calculate theft. Mm, yeah. You know, I, I it's interesting as you're talking about this and talking about how, how much more difficult to some extent it used to be to start a business because you needed a performer and you had to do it all by hand and all these kind of things. I wonder sometimes if it's almost too easy to start a business now. And that's part of the reason there's so much failure. 
the failure goes to a lot of things, and it's not money, uh, Jay. Tons and thousands and millions of dollars are thrown at businesses every day. What they don't understand is how to get off this roller coaster or hamster wheel, which is, you know, this up and down thing. So they'll get business coming in and then all of a sudden they won't prospect anymore. They won't go after new business. And then the, the roller coaster starts downhill and they go, oh, panic. And then they go out mm-hmm. and, and they start working harder. And what happens is you get exhausted. Yeah, unfortunately, I've been on that roller coaster uh, many a times in my life, and I'm very familiar with it. And uh, and developing strategies around how to smooth things out, things out over time, uh, is critical for business. I'm wondering, you know, if you have any thoughts on that. Maybe some specific ideas that people might need to look at or, or think about as it relates to their businesses to help them, you know, get off of that roller coaster of, you know, a feast or famine to some extent. It all comes down to time management. Period. My dad says, and has said it for many years, if money had handles on it, we could hold on to it. Well, the same thing through time. Time slips through our fingers. I do a time uh, management assessment with clients when I first bring them on. And usually their position is they don't have enough time. They're not sure if they have enough time to do all the things I'm going to ask them to do. So I already understand that. So before we do that, I go through a little exercise. And just about every time, that, and we don't take into consideration work time. We just take in, you know, what their activities are and sleep and all that. And they'll always come up with somewhere between 70 and 90 hours. And I'll go, Jay, you mean you're working 70 to 90 hours a week? And they go, no, no, no. I said, well, how many hours a week do you work? And they'll say, oh, 45, 50. I said, well, where are the rest of the hours going? Hmm. And so when you start really looking at your time, what happens is we have 168 hours, period. Now, if those are the only two things we can control is time and money. Now, getting back to the money for a second, you were talking about software programs. We're getting into an age, especially in, in going in business, we rely on software. We rely on these programs to, to do everything. We want done-for-you stuff. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when you look at a um, – if you look at your P&L after it's gone through QuickBooks – Aren't you a few days behind the month? You know, like the month ended on the 31st and aren't you about seven or eight days in before all that is calculated? Right. Okay. So is it fun to wake up um, eight or 10 days into the next month and you realize you've lost money, but you've been doing, you've still been doing the same pattern for the, for the first two weeks of the next month. Mm, Yeah. So it, this is where your roller coaster starts because like you said, you think you're doing well when you want to, your businesses should create a steady growth, a, a growth that you, can, that you can map out. I start my clients out with a 30% growth. So if you looked at a year, just 30% growth. And then we focus on quarterly, not yearly. And that's another problem that businesses have is when they set up their annual goals, they, they forget about hitting their goals, say, oh, I got plenty of time, oh, I got plenty of time, and then gets into the last quarter, and most people don't realize, but 30 to 40% of the sales are made in the last quarter of the year. Hmm. I've got a client, boat client, Marine Max out, you know, they have like 66 stores throughout the United States, and their, their year ends on September the 30th. Well, in the boating business, you can see why that where they would want the, the start of their quarter to be October 1st. Right. Because they want to take they they want that last push in the last two quarters of the of their you know physical year. Yeah, it's interesting. 
I think that a lot of times it's so easy for businesses either to focus too far in the future and think, oh, I'm worried about five, six years from now and not enough about today, or, or they get so caught in the weeds of whatever's happening today, the whirlwind. I read a great book recently by uh, Sean Covey called The Four Disciplines of Execution. And in it, they talk about the idea of lead measures versus lag measures. And I love this idea. Remember out there, it's not heard of this. It's worth checking out the book. And, and he kind of lends himself a little bit to what you're talking about in that sometimes when you're looking at like sales numbers from a previous month or quarter, like you're looking at past data that you can't control. And so what he talks about is, is having lead measures, things that you actually can control. For example, uh, how many prospect meetings do I have scheduled this week? You know, of those prospect meetings, I should know based on past history, how many of those I'm going to close, how many they're going to turn into customers, what the average sale volume is. And as a result, I can start to forecast for the future what I'm actually going to make uh, from a revenue standpoint and eventually from a profit standpoint, uh, where a lot of people are so focused on the past that they, they can't see the the they can't see the future. They can't see anything forecasted ahead. I think that can be dangerous for people, too. Exactly. And I refer to those uh, as KPIs, key performance indicators, right? So when I'm working uh, with these guys in the boat, it's more around sales and they've got to have five A customers. That means somebody's going to close in 30 days and they've got to have so many clients that are going to close in 60 days because your your funnel feeds the, the A prospects. And if you're not Working your funnel, my funnel or the one I engage people with is um, it's lettered A, B, C, D. D is a year out, C is six months out and 90 days out and 30 days out. And if you have a, if you can put this in your CRM or, you know, whatever, uh, like uh, Infusionsoft or whatever you guys are using, then you have these things pop up. It gives you alarms and you know when to touch them and when to reach out to them and whatever you had talked with them last, it's already there. So you, you can manage about 200 to 250 in your pipeline. What happens, my experience tells me that people get three or four uh, sales projects going and then they don't worry about it. They're only focused on the four or five people that are in their immediate touch and they forget to keep feeding the, the, feeding the pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a, I've got a new book coming out called the same title as the podcast, Building a Business That Lasts. And one of the chapters in there, I talk about juggling money. And it's kind of the same mentality. And the point that I make is that, you know, at any time you've got three balls in the air, at least one is the pipeline of incoming business. The other is uh, accounts receivable revenue that you haven't actually received yet. And the other is cash. And if you don't keep all three of those balls moving at the same time, you're going to have a problem and just like a juggler would. And it's the same true, same is true within the pipeline itself. So you can kind of micro micro analyze it. Like what you're talking about there is within the pipeline. If everybody in the pipeline is right at that stage of about to close, that's not really good because you really need people at the beginning of the funnel as well, who are just getting introduced so that two, three months from now, you're not sitting around with no business. Exactly. And there's you know, studies out there that show because 86% of our customers now start their buying process online. And they do that because they don't trust salespeople. They don't want to be sold. They don't, they want to be buy. That's, that's in, in their nature, but they don't want to be sold anything. So what they'll do is they buy in spite of our, of the salespeople. So the statistic shows that 48% of salespeople only make one touch, one call, 
25% of the salespeople will make two touches. That means that 73% of the salespeople are making one or two touches, and that represents only 5% of sales. 2% on the 48, 3% on the second, giving you a, a total of 5% of sales. So it, the now the new rule is 5 to 12 touches, because you have to spend so much time in the beginning building the rapport and trust with the person, with the client, so that, that they, you know, because you got to have trust nowadays. And it takes, and there's a new studies out, new books out, all about NLP, Neural Linguistics Programming. Have you heard about that? I've heard the term before. I'm not that familiar with it. Okay, well, uh, you can check this book out. You're, feel free to do. It's... Um, NLP for dummies. It's one of those yellow and black books, you know, like we see. Okay. Yep. And it has NLP for dummies for business and for personal. And NLP is more around profiling. In fact, Homeland Security uses it to profile clients. Um, I mean, customer, you know, people coming into our world. Um, but we can, we can use this to understand our customer, our customer's behaviors, things. Most people in sales think, oh, my goodness, we need to know product knowledge. No, you don't need product knowledge. What you need is consumer knowledge. You have to understand, like I was on a call with a, a salesperson the other day, and he said, well, the person told me um, that they were going to call me back. And I said, well, good. Then when the person tells you they're going to call you back, then you make sure that you explain to them that you'll be waiting on their call. I'll be right. waiting for you to call. Now, what you're doing is you're planting a trigger into their subconscious, and that trigger is going to you know, kind of tickle their brain all the time going, hey, remember, you told you you're going to call Jay. Remember, you said you're going to call Jay. Remember, you said you're going to – and this will cause them to, uh, if they're going to call you, give them a little better shot at them calling you. Hmm. Interesting. You know, it kind of makes me think about there's an application I ran across the other day online. It's called crystalnose.com, a uh, really cool program. And basically what it does is it asks, well, it goes out on the Internet somehow and pulls in data about people, I'm assuming based on their social profiles and biographies and everything else it can find. And then it will actually give you guidance on how to communicate with that person. So if somebody uh, has a, a really short, brisk personality, it might say, hey, be extremely brief get straight to the point, you know, or somebody else that might say, Hey, you know, uh, be a little bit more expressive, you know, mention some personal things, help connect with them a little bit deeper. That's how their personality um, requires a kind of connection. And even gives you pointers on like how to, how to, how to write emails that you can better communicate with that person. I think a lot of times we, you know, forget that we all uh, communicate a little bit differently. We all, you know, prefer to, connect in different ways. And some people like a phone call, some people like in-person meetings, some people like uh, short meetings, some people like, you know, more drawn out casual meetings. And, and I think understanding, like you said, understanding the consumer and understanding who we're trying to help ultimately is going to make those relationships so much better. Exactly. And when you're, you're talking about what was, you just said something that was really interesting about people and their behaviors. And there are four basic personality types. And if you get good at, at understanding these or being chameleon, as I say, at changing and adapting to these different personality types, people will, will, you know, trust you faster. So meaning well, mirroring and matching, using the same tone, slowing your voice down. If the, if the voice is slow, then you slow yours down. 
mirror your match, pace, lead, do all these things at, at the customer's pace. And, you know, and don't be afraid to ask, how do you like to be communicated with? What's the best way to communicate with you? Some people are going to say text. Some people are going to say email. Whatever it is, communicate with them in, their, in the way they want to be con- communicated with. When I develop an organizational chart for a client, uh, that organizational chart is upside down. Hmm. So the CEO's at the bottom. So who, who, do, who do you think's at the top? The customer. Who's hmm. the boss? The customer's the boss. Give you a quick example. When I was in the uh, air conditioning business, one of the things about any service business is, you know, people, uh, you know, get ripped off. It's, it's hard to, to get in, uh, stabilize yourself in that business because of all the negativity, negativity that's in it. So one of the questions we had in that, or one of the things posed to me was, okay, the customer's wants and needs. We always need to know the different, you know, what they're want. Do you know what a customer, when customers wants and needs are when it comes to an air conditioner, their want is you to fix it on their time schedule. Their need is their air conditioner to be fixed, but they don't want it fixed. They want it fixed on their time. Right. So, so I went to my technicians and I said, well, guys, how do we make this work? So we can't, we don't know how long we're going to be on a job. We may be on a job an hour and we may be on a job five hours. And I said, okay, well, we, we're going to take that control out of the technician's hand. We're going to give it to the dispatcher. Okay. Now the technicians were then informed if they could fix the problem in an hour, no problem. They could stay right on the job. If the job was going to take them more than an hour, their first question to the customer after explaining, you know, you got a bad fan motor. It's going to take us about three hours to fix it. When would you like us to be back? Mm-hmm. When would you like us to fix that? And the nine times out of 10, the customer is going to say, can you come back when my wife is here? Can you come back here when my father brings home the kids from school? So what we did then was to two-way radios in our trucks. And so now all we had to do is communicate with dispatch. Dispatch says, yep, um, Mrs. Smith wants that her uh, fan motor put in this afternoon. And then that we'd have a, another crew that would go out and fix it, put the, put the unit together or, you know, put the fan motor in. Yeah, I think that, that it's, it seems like a silly idea, but it's actually really impactful and easy to forget what you said a minute ago, which was, uh, just ask them. If you're not sure when they want something done or how they want something done or how they want to be communicated with, just ask. And a lot of people, I think, would appreciate just, just having somebody ask them. Oh, yeah, because you're showing them, you know, you're giving them the control. They feel like they're in control. And uh, just like I could say to you right now, we'll just use this as a role play. So, Jay, um, I'd like to get together with you next week. Uh, would Tuesday at four be good or would Monday at two be better? It just depends. I have to look at my schedule. <laughs> Most people will go with the last thing I said. Interesting. Because that's what they're listening. They're, they're, they hear, oh, Monday at two. Monday at two sounds good. Well, they're in control. Didn't they pick the time? And they feel better about it. Yeah, but it's my schedule. I wanted them at two. So I gave them the time at the last moment that I wanted. Hmm. This doesn't work all the time, but if it works, you know, three out of five times or four out of six times, that keeps you in control of your schedule rather than trying to adapt to the customer schedule. They're in control. They tell you what time they want you of giving them the choices that are best for you. So sometimes saying the, the choice you want last will be more beneficial. Again, consumer behavior. 
Yeah, I think that idea too of of going back to time management, we're talking about controlling your schedule. I think one of the big mistakes people make, both with time and money really, is letting the whirlwind of life kind of dictate it to them versus, you know, you can either tell your schedule what to do or the day's going to tell you what to do. And um, I've found that for me, I have to block out, you know, specific time on my schedule even for things that you wouldn't maybe need an appointment for normally, you know, maybe it's even just uh, read a couple of chapters in a particular book. I'll block out 30 minutes on my, on my calendar to do that. Otherwise somebody or something is going to take that 30 minutes from me and I'm not going to get a chance to use it. And another thing that you probably are witnessing with that, you have a choice then. So if somebody wants to jump into that time slot, when you're going to read a book, you're, it's your choice. You can move that, reading down the trail a little bit. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But but you're 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 kind of dictating a priority up front and making a decision and then being able to adjust from there, I think has value as well. But I think that's one of the big mistakes a lot of business owners make is they just let the whirlwind of the day dictate to them what what they need to do. And you can almost never get ahead of things that way. You you want and you'll just keep digging the hole. One of the things I say, and you probably heard this before, if you're digging a hole, what is the first thing you should do? And nobody ever gets the answer correct, or I should say most of the time, they say, well, stop digging the hole. I said, no, put the shovel down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, and I can give your listeners four things right now. I'll give you four little steps. If they put this in their practice, this works straight across on anything. Okay, you ready? Yeah, definitely. Okay. First of all, you make a decision and that decision is to be best at time management, be best at sales or whatever it is. You commit that you're going to, to whatever task you're taking on, you commit to that and make the decision that that's where you're going with it. Priorities, objectives, whatever you want to call them. Make that decision. Number two, once you have your decision made, then put disciplines in your life that make sure that that you're working on that decision. So if you want to be better at time management, then you got to evaluate your time and see where your time wasters are and see how you can improve on your time management. That's disciplines, like you said, putting blocking, color coding, or, or whatever you do. The third thing is be decisive about what you're doing. I'll give every one of you and everyone on your listeners permission to procrastinate on anything that is taking you away from your goals. Mm. Procrastinate on it. You don't need to do the dishes. You don't need to do the laundry. All small, you know, when you're a small guy, you know, one or two and you're working from home, all the laundry's calling you, the dishes, so, you know, you get it. A whole bunch of stuff calls you. Now, once you have those three in place, now you have to visualize yourself being in control of your time or being that number one salesperson or you have to visualize. We think in pictures. So the more pictures we have of what we want, the more things we'll get. People call it vision boards, whatever. You walked into my condo, you'd see that my condo is nothing but a vision board. Every, every wall has something on it that I want. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's critical. I mean, and that relates to Matt. I was never really great at sports, to be honest, but uh, but I know a lot of people that were. And and whenever they think about the next game or the next victory, they always think, talk about visualizing that victory. You know, you, you have to be able to see kind of the scoreboard at the end before the scoreboard has any numbers on it. And I think that that is true in business as well. Exactly. In fact, I can give you a, a funny little story. Uh, do you play golf? A little bit. I'm pretty bad. Okay, well, buddy of mine, my golf partner, calls me up, and his boss is in from out of town, and he wants 
me to come and play because the boss and I would play about the same level. And so he says, we're going to be playing Rocky Point. And I go, oh, wow, that's great. I was a, I'm a, I was a member there. I know the course pretty good. I haven't played there in a while, but I, I know the course. So Saturday night, we're playing Sunday, Saturday night. I mentally played the whole game, a whole round in, in club selection, knew what I was going to take off the first tee, where I was going to put my ball. And I had it all mapped out, Jay. I had it all perfect. Yeah. Okay. I show up at the golf course. Guess what? They had flip-flopped the nines. <laughs> now, you would think that because I'm standing on a tee box looking straight ahead, but my brain had already played that hole with a three iron instead of a five wood, and I was hitting shots that were terrible. I was the worst game. He came up to me about three-quarters of the way through the game. He says, Terry, I brought you here to make me look good, not to make me look bad. I can't <laughs> You visualized the wrong game. <laughs> right. So uh, you have to be careful what you visualize. Okay. So you can't, you know, when we do, sometimes we get, you know, idled hands is the devil's workshop too, you know. So you got to be like your priorities. You got to be focused. You got to do all uh, all those things to keep your mind straight. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're coming towards the end of the program. And I always like to give people the opportunity to talk about areas where they have personally grown or grown or been able to keep growing yourself because I think continual education is usually a hallmark of, of of most successful business people but for you where is that is it conferences is it books is it audiobooks is it mentors what is it that helps you be able to kind of stay on top of your game so you're able to help others well from my perspective being a consultant coach business development you can only imagine I have to stay on top of it and anybody that's in this space you know, I would recommend they make sure they're on top of it because, you know, in 2009, I could have said uh, social media is a joke. That'll never happen. Right. Well, I would have been digging myself a hole then. I'm a, a, a big proponent of Kanai, which is constant and never ending improvement. We get that from Tony Robbins. He teaches mm-hmm. that you, you got to constantly and be constantly being improving yourself. The world changes. We're going so fast now. Like for an example, you made mention earlier that, you know, people get stuck in their five-year plan. I agree. They should have a five-year plan. That is their lofty, lofty dream. That's where they are. Okay. Then you chunk that back down to one year. Then you chunk that down to 90 days. And then you stay on focus for 90 days. At the end of nine days, you evaluate yourself. Then you look out five years from that point reef to your five-year dream, chunk it down to one year, which means now you'll be three months into the next year if you're starting in January, but you create a rolling year that you're focused quarterly. You're focused on just 90-day objectives and 90-day priorities. Yeah, I think the block of things like, Alec, that makes a big difference when you're, when you're goal setting, for sure. That's some great advice. Any other particular kind of parting advice, that things we haven't covered maybe that you'd like to mention when you're thinking about, you know, speaking to folks who are trying to build a business that lasts? What are, what are some other kind of last uh, thoughts that you may want to leave with folks? Turn your car into a learning center. Mm. You spend an hour a day in your car. If anybody's spending an hour a day in the car, that's equivalent to two semesters of college by keeping a CD of, um, you know, a CD in your car that's helping you grow or whatever you want. There's so much now out there on, on, in a digital format, you can podcast, you can download stuff. Just take advantage of when you're driving that, you know, turn your car into an education center. And then the other thing is however, whatever 
There's no time management book or anything I can tell you. There's over hundred thousands of them that have been written, but learn to control your 168 hours. Be as stingy with that as you would be with your money. Absolutely. Because, because uh, we're not getting any more time. We've got a limited uh, amount and we've got to use it to the best of our ability. Exactly. And, you know, the Lord isn't coming and saying, oh, I didn't finish my water. (laughs) So if uh, folks want to find you online or connect with you, what's the best place for them to do that? Ogburn's Business Solutions with an S, Ogburn's Business Solutions, a lot of S's in there. So remember that. Uh, Also, terryogburn.com, LinkedIn, Terry Ogburn on, on LinkedIn, Terry Ogburn, Facebook, all the normal stuff. And I have a gift for your audience, if, if I may share that with you. Yeah, great. Um, I'd like to extend to, to you and your listeners one hour of my time. This is where we will roll up our shirt sleeves together. We'll work on a, a, a challenge that you may be having in your business. There's, this is no sales pitch. There's no upsell, none of that. It's just me wanting to connect with, with uh, your viewer or your listener so that we can fix a problem for them. On my website, see the one of them, you hit the contact us button, the drop down menu, you know, just fill in the blank, tell me what your challenge is, how to get the best way to get a hold of you, and I'll reach out to you and we'll set a time up. That's great, Terry. I appreciate that offer. So if you're out there listening and, and want to find, maybe get some inside, uh, insight from outside, uh, Terry can help you with that. Uh, give him a, a call, shoot him an email, uh, fill out his form on his website, Terry Ogburn, that's O-G-B-U-R-N.com. And uh, Terry, thanks so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you again, Jay, for having me. I hope this episode has given you some ideas or inspiration that will help you grow your business. If you found it helpful and you know somebody else who might benefit from it as well, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to share this with them, maybe on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, or even shoot an email over to a friend uh, with a link to this podcast in it. And if you haven't already, make sure you sign up for our email list at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com.